0: Grace and peace to you all and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Don't think for a moment that the stone was rolled away in order for the Lord to get out. No, if you read the four Gospel accounts, it becomes very clear that when they actually get there to the tomb and begin to examine what's going on in the tomb, they find the clothing of our Lord still wrapped as it was in the folds and they wrapped them mummy style in those days.
0: Well, here we are. Thanks be to God for allowing us to complete another book under Pastor Sam's tutelage. And today we start our last message in Matthew entitled Resurrected. We are looking at Matthew chapter 28 in its entirety, Herein, Jesus is buried, resurrected, and gathers together again with his disciples. Let's listen in.
1: Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, the title of our message, Resurrected. The first thing we take note of here in Matthew 28 is the devotion of some of those who had been following Jesus, walking with Jesus, ministering to Jesus. And ordinarily, when we think of ministry, we think of what Jesus did for us, or what he was doing for them, but you actually can minister unto the Lord. And we're going to see such a wonderful and clear picture of that tonight. I think that's very important, especially with this group. And while I realize not all of you serve at Calvary regularly, well, there are many of you here tonight because, well, you'll be serving at the outreach tomorrow. And so you've come so we can study together, so we can worship together. I want to show you how blessed the Lord is at your service and your sacrifice. And also I want to point out well, how blessed you are in comparison to the multitudes of people who never get beyond well, what the Lord might be doing for them. We read it was after the Sabbath... But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. The first thing that I see here in Matthew 28, well, especially as it would relate to us personally, is the devotion of those who came simply to see the tomb. They just wanted to be near the Lord. Now, we do know because it was the Sabbath, they couldn't anoint his body as they ordinarily would have. They'd taken the body down, they'd placed it in the tomb, and now these women come and they've brought with them precious and valuable ointments. And the purpose being, they wanted to anoint the body of their Lord. Now, the only possible motivation for this is love. It's a sacrifice in every sense of the word. You're taking something precious, something fragrant, and you're lavishing it upon a dead body, or at least what they thought would be a dead body. And so I point this out for this simple reason. Though doctrinally, they hadn't really caught on yet. You see, Jesus had been telling them for weeks, for months, I'm headed up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priest. I'll be crucified. I'll be buried, but I'll rise again the third day. Doctrinally, they were still in the dark. Devotionally, they were right on. They they loved the Lord, and so they came to minister and see the picture. They came to demonstrate their love for him by ministering to the Lord's body. Now that's exactly what we do as we gather together and the so many of you who come not to be served but to serve when well, you come to minister in a very real way to the Lord's body. It's got to be an act of love. It's got to be a real sacrifice. And in order to be acceptable to Him, pleasing to Him and beneficial to the body, well, we have to come as they did. The one difference is They came thinking they would be ministering to a dead body. We come knowing we're ministering to a live body. People born again of His Spirit. Children born again of His Spirit. Adults who are alive in Him. And as we lavish our love upon them, as we sacrifice for them, well... That's pretty much what happens week after week, month after month, year after year, as we gather together. We come to minister to the body. Now they had a couple of dilemmas. They wondered how they would get in to get to the body. And it was a rather large stone that they would have rolled there. It was more like the Flintstones wheels, if you remember those guys. Some people, when they hear large stone, they picture a big boulder. Not so. No, it looked more like a wheel and it would have been rolled down into a trench that had been dug and, and actually carved out there so that nothing could get into the tomb. No animal to defile the body or, or no person to steal things maybe that would be in the tomb. So they were concerned, how would they get in? Now when they come, the angel has already come and rolled away the stone. Don't think for a moment that the stone was rolled away in order for the Lord to get out. No, if you read the four gospel accounts, it becomes very clear that... When they actually get there to the tomb and begin to examine what's going on in the tomb, they find the clothing of our Lord still wrapped as it was in the folds. And they wrapped them mummy style in those days. And so it wasn't like he was gone and the clothing was gone. He was gone and the clothing was still there in its folds. It's in the the original. You can find it in the Gospel of John So they come, the stone is removed. Well, not for our Lord to get out. He was long gone. It was so they could look in. And the very first thing that happens, well, besides the fact that the guards shook for fear of him, became like dead men, we come back to them in a moment, that the angel answers speaking to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. As he said, I like those words, It's a reminder to them, a reminder to us, that Jesus had told them numerous times what was going to happen, and that, well, it included, of course, his resurrection. He says, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but there have been some theories as to what might have happened. One of them is flat out presented to us here, uh, another one implied here, and, and it's here in the passage. There was someone who came up with the idea that they'd simply come to the wrong tomb and what was being said is, this isn't where he is, he's really just over here, come see where he lay, this other tomb right down the road. Now the absurdity of that should, well, it should be easy for you to see as it is for me to see. If they had come to the wrong tomb and all they had to do was show, well, he's down in this tomb, Listen, that would have been the end of Christianity. You take the resurrection out of the whole formula and you find Christianity grinds to an immediate halt. Why? You now have a Savior who dies for our sins, is buried. Well, and that's the end of it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what hope do you have of rising? If he didn't rise from the dead, how can he tell us, no one will come to the Father but by me? How can he tell us I am the resurrection and the life? Well, you know, of course, most of you, I would think, have come to the same conclusion I have, that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. But if you're still in the valley of decision, trying to figure all of this out, you've been invited, you're you're looking at it. Listen, some suggested that they simply went to the wrong tomb. Here's why that doesn't work. All they had to do was produce the body from the other tomb and it would have been over couple other things come up and we'll deal with them as they do. Well, go quickly, they're told. Tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. And then he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. And they went quickly from the tomb with great fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. It's interesting, that word... They ran to tell the disciples. They were filled with fear and joy. They run and they say, Hey, the Lord is missing. We saw this angel. The angel said, Well, he's risen from the dead. We're supposed to go to Galilee and meet him there. The response to that, of course, Well, John and Peter run to the tomb. John points out, and many of you are aware of it, that as they ran, they didn't just run, they raced. And John, being the younger, finds it important to mention in his gospel that he ran and raced and won. Beat Peter to the tomb. As they approach the tomb, well, John, of course, gets there first and he stops. Why? Well, he doesn't want to be defiled. You were never to go near a dead body. You were never to enter into a tomb. They were still celebrating a 10-day feast, well, a week-long feast, and there were some others attached. But but in any case, at this point, Peter catches up, races in. He doesn't care about being being defiled. He just wants to see what's up. Now, if you look at John's account, and it's a wonderful account, John looks in. He kind of glances in and he notices, wow, this is weird. Peter goes in and he begins to scrutinize to try to figure out what in the world this means. And then we're told John goes in and he beholds with understanding. He's the first to put it together. Man, it's true. He's actually risen from the dead. Well, there's something else here. I already read it to you. It's there in verse 7. It says, Go ahead to Galilee because there you will see him. And while... It's impossible to prove the reality of the resurrection scientifically. Well, we do have a record of reliable eyewitness testimony. In fact, in the gospel accounts, we have at least 10, well, including 1 Corinthians 15, we have at least 10 mentions of Jesus appearing in some setting. He appears first to Mary Magdalene. That's actually here in our passage. Then later he appears to Mary, to James's mom and Salome. He appears to Peter. In fact, one of the Gospel records says, tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because Peter had denied him, because Peter was just torn up. Well, then he appears to the two disciples on the Emmaus road where they have a little Bible study and he opens the word to them, showing them all of the things in the Old Testament and how they related to, well, him. The fifth appearance is to the ten in the upper room. Thomas wasn't there with them. And if you're one of those people, well, I doubt that you are one of those people that only comes to church twice a year because if you did, you never would have come for Saturday night for Easter Sunday, But if you know people who only come off and on, or maybe you're not all that regular yourself, listen, when you don't gather together with the other brothers and sisters, you are going to miss out on something. I guarantee it. I don't know what the Lord does in each heart as we gather together, but I know he's always working in mine, and I'm convinced he's working in every one of yours. And because Thomas wasn't there, and that's why it comes up, Well, he missed out. They got to see the risen Lord. And when they tell Thomas, hey, check this out. The Lord is alive. He has resurrected. He met with us. Thomas says, well, I don't believe it. And I've noticed as well that when people miss fellowship, I'm not talking about a service here or there. That happens to all of us. But when people miss an appointment with the Lord, and this was an appointment, head out, be waiting. I'll be there. I'll meet with you. Thomas wasn't there. Not only did he miss the opportunity, but he was filled with doubt. Why? Hearing. Well, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The more you're in the presence of the Lord, the more you're with the people of the Lord, the greater your faith will grow in the Lord. So, He meets with the ten, Thomas missing. A week later, long wait, he meets with the eleven, Thomas present. Thomas had said, unless I can see the the nail prints in his hand, unless I can put my hand and and feel those wounds, I won't believe. And it's amazing to me that our Lord so graciously says, Thomas, come and feel, come touch, come see. And Thomas hits the floor on his knees and, and begins to worship the Lord, our Lord. He later appears to the seven on the Sea of Galilee. It's an interesting scene. They'd gone back to fishing, figuring the whole apostleship thing was sort of a wash-up, you see. They were back fishing. And Jesus appears and, well, he asked them, you catching anything? And probably the only true fisherman story ever told, no, we haven't gotten anything and wasn't any, this got away, or you should have seen? No, they just said, no, nothing. And he says, well, cast the net, and you know the story. In any case, they have this great drought of fish, and they pull them in, and when they get there, well, Jesus already has fish. And he, he, there at the shore, begins to minister to them. He restores Peter publicly, at least in the, the circle who had seen him, falter and fail and and then well it goes on seventh appearance the seven on the sea of galilee the eighth appearance it deals with yet another of the well ideas that men have come up with as related to what might have happened if in fact jesus didn't rise from the dead we're told in first corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. Now, there's a good reason for that, because if it were just the disciples, they could say, well, you know how it is. They missed him so much, and their hearts were breaking, and they just, they they wanted to see him, so they thought he was there. But when someone appears to 500 people at once, it can be no delusion. It can be no hallucination. And that's actually a theory that someone came up with. And these people, well, they consider themselves credible. And the theory was that, well, because of their great sorrow, because of their great suffering, they just hallucinated the appearance of the Lord. Now, I don't have to tell you if, well, if you're anywhere near my age, that uh, hallucinations, you may have, may not have had experience with them. I'm ashamed to say I have, but I do know this for a fact that hallucinations are personal, private things. And while five people might all hallucinate at the same time, they won't have the same hallucination. They won't have the same delusions. But see, this was no hallucination. This was no delusion. It said 500 people at once, and here's why that's oh so important. Those 500 people, for the most part, were still alive when 1 Corinthians was written. Why does Paul even bother to say so? He's saying, listen, if you don't believe it, go check it out. Go ask people. Lots of people saw Jesus alive from the dead. It's incredibly important. And that's going to be sort of the heart of our message tomorrow. The the absolute necessity of the resurrection, the absolute reality of the resurrection. Well, and then the absolute reality of your resurrection but that's going to be tomorrow. So let's just stay with our text and, and see where the Lord leads us in it. They go out quickly. They run from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to bring his disciples' word. Now, as they're going, and, and yet here's another practical point, verse 9. As they're going, there is a revelation from the Lord and I've noticed that most of the times I've seen the Lord do amazing things, I was just doing very ordinary things. It's not that I find myself in some setting where the the scene is surreal and, you know, I've never gotten to see the Lord speak through a burning bush. I've never seen him, you know, speak through a donkey, although I did used to watch Mr. Ed and enjoyed it a lot. But but the bottom line is Our Lord, when he appears to us, when he reveals to us, he ordinarily does it when we're in the midst of obeying him and sometimes doing very mundane, ordinary things. Now, I'm not saying it was mundane and ordinary to be the first to preach that Jesus rose from the dead. But in their case, they were obeying a very simple and straightforward command. Go and tell them. The Lord is risen. Go tell him to go to Galilee. He'll meet with you there. So as they went, verse 9, to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. I love that. As I just go out to do what the Lord gives me to do, the Lord continually meets with me. He knows that I can't represent him on my own. He knows that I'll flop entirely, completely. And so he meets with me and he speaks to me and he encourages me. And well, and that's what's happening here. They're filled with awe and, and wonder and they're going out in obedience. And well, as they went, Jesus met with them saying rejoice and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Four things happen as they're just on their way to deliver the message. First, they heard him. I heard him speak, and that is oh so important. I hope you know, as we study together, truly the Lord desires to speak to you through his word. And it's amazing to me, truly, that he would use me as a spokesman. But I understand it. It's his word that's alive and powerful. I'm just, well, like a Western Union, if you're old enough to remember them. I guess they're still out there but mostly email today, you see. And if, if you know, it's just a messenger, just bring in the message. But my sheep, our Lord would say, hear my voice and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They heard him. And I hope you hear him as we open the word, as we read it together, as he says to them, rejoice. He'd be saying that to many here tonight. Listen, You're serving the Lord, you've got a word from the Lord, you've got a message to deliver, you're delivering it, you're on the way, serving the Lord. So he stops you in your path and says, hey, rejoice. And by the way, perhaps rejoice is in all we need to hear. Some, well, he said, do not be afraid. Stop fearing, more literally. Rejoice and stop fearing, I've noticed that the Lord continually takes me beyond anything I'm expecting Him to be able to do in or through me. Well, why? Because if it's something I can do or I I figure, well, yeah, I can handle this, well, then I really don't need Him to accomplish it. But I realize that I'm in over my head, that I'm, well, beyond my own capabilities, then i got to rely on Him. And if you, like me, find yourself serving in some capacity where you realize, man, this is more than I can handle. This is more than I can I can really deal with. Well, you're in a wonderful place to hear him say, rejoice and don't be afraid. Stop fearing. I'm here and I'm going to use you and I'm going to do wonderful things in and through you. So they heard him and then they held him. We're gonna to get to do that in symbolic fashion tonight as we share in communion, as, as we hear his word, and then we take the bread and the cup that represents his body and his blood, we not only hear him speaking to us, but we get to hold him and and, and well grab hold of the reality that in a very real way, as I shared earlier, he's here and wanting to manifest His presence to each and every one of us. Two more things happened. They worshipped. And of course, well, we've been doing that. And I hope as we worship, though some of the songs are newer, and that, that you grab on and, and you, well, join in. You may not be a real singer, but you can be a real worshipper. And the Lord, well, He receives it and and... Is blessed by it. And then they witness. see? They were called to be witnesses and they were on their way to witness to his resurrection. Again, as we share in communion tonight, you're going to be preaching. And if you never thought of yourself before as a preacher, Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming, heralding, preaching, it's the same word, the Lord's death until he comes. Just taking the bread and the cup, you're saying, I believe and I've received and, and I'm celebrating the reality of what our Lord has done for me so as they were going they saw Jesus you will too in the midst of doing what they were sent to do well and that'll happen for each and every one of you I love talking about Jesus' resurrection it is the
0: first delivery or first fruit of one of God's greatest promises and it's an event to be celebrated each and every day in my opinion, the single most important event in all of human history. I had said in a previous broadcast that I did not see Jesus' crucifixion as a tragedy and I most certainly did not see Jesus as a victim. However, that wouldn't be true without his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15:14, Paul tells us, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Well, neither of those things are true, and we have eternal life because Jesus has victory over death. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.